Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. As Pastor Chris said, we actually, uh, in our partnership with ARC, we actually launched 15 churches today um, in the United States of America, which hopefully, um, you know, you'll hear from the message why that's so important. And also uh, with a 98% success rate um, in regards to planting churches, and you're going to see why it's so desperate, uh, why it's such a desperate need that we plant churches right here in America as well as across the globe. Uh, but I'm excited to be with you this morning. My name is Matt. For those of you guys who are new, welcome. Welcome home. Uh, my wife, Jackie, and I, we are the lead pastors here at Fountain Church and just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, and in fact, before we jump into part four of Soul Hungry, it's going to be the last part of this series. Uh, and we've kind of bounced around from uh, this idea of, of our soul being hungry and the things that we're pursuing that leave us soul hungry. Uh, and then also soul hungry, meaning there's a lot of people that need to know Jesus. And, uh, and we have the answer, the hope of glory on the inside of us that needs to be shared and declared um, all over the place. But, but before we jump into the message, this, this, is, this is really important today. It's my wife's birthday today. Um, I don't think she's in here. She's running around. But when you see her, give her a big happy birthday. She is the hardest working woman I know, and I love her. And I'm so grateful that uh, God really makes dreams come true. And uh, I'm still living my dream. Uh, but but I, I want to speak to you today. I want to speak to you today from the subject of ready or not, here he comes. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. I pray that you would open up our hearts to your word, that you would uh, just give us wisdom and insight as we dive into your word and help us to grasp the reality of this message. So, Lord, we, we thank you so much. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. So just so you know, next week is actually a simulcast. We'll be simulcasting with churches all across the nation in this event called Football Sunday. Uh, a buddy of mine is actually uh, with the 49ers right now. They're doing live interviews with those who are like followers of Jesus. Like it's done really well. Um, so if you have friends that love football, it's a great day to come to church. We're giving away 24-pack sodas for all the first-time guests to bring back to the Super Bowl. 24 packs of soda. Just want to restate that. Um, and uh, it's just going to be such a fun time, so make sure you, you, you bring a friend. But, uh, but I, I got to tell you, you guys may have heard last week that the previous week I, I was, was sick with strep throat. And uh, every time we do this 21 days of fasting and prayer, I get hit. Like last year, I got the flu uh, the second weekend, and this year I got strep throat. Now, uh, I don't know if it's because it's a little bit a breakdown in my body, so I, I think I need to prepare for my fast a little bit more, a little bit sooner. Um, but anyways, long story short, it, it was, it was kind of interesting because I, I kind of felt bad on, the sun, on, on that particular Sunday. So it was two, two weeks ago, and I started to feel the symptoms a little bit. But, you know, I just thought I'm getting a little cold. I'm going to push through. I'm a grown man. We just kind of push through that stuff, right? And, uh, and by the time Monday hit, it intensified. Like Monday, I woke up in the morning, and I just knew, oh, no, it's over, right? Body aches, fever, throwing up, sore throat, like every symptom was like super intensified. And, and the greater the symptoms, the greater we rearrange our life, don't we? The greater the signs, the first thing I told Jackie, I said, hey, babe, you need to go get me some Advil because I need to fight this fever. I'm, I'm dying here. I'm shaking. I got the chills. And then when you feel nauseous and got a sore throat and all that stuff all at the same time, it's the worst. And so, so by the third day, <laughs> right, three days in, 
I'm like, I woke up in the morning and I started to talk like this because my throat was so swollen. I said, bam, babe, I think I got strep throat. I need to go to the doctor. So went to the doctor and sure enough, he said, man, all the signs and the symptoms, as I look at your throat, I'm saying, yep, you got strep throat, buddy. So he took a little swab, sure enough, had strep throat. So came back, you know, he prescribed me an antibiotic. I told Jackie, clear my schedule this week because I am done. And just, just that, that, that one, just a few signs and symptoms completely rearranged my entire week, completely changed my life for that week. And, and I was thinking in regards to signs, I, I remember my, my, my beautiful little daughter. Can you go to the next one for me, Steve? Uh, my beautiful little daughter, uh, her name is Hannah. And for all of my kids, for whatever reason, we always go do these 3D deals. Now, now, this is kind of a cute picture. You can see that she's smiling, but the majority of the pictures, they're not cute in 3D. It's, they look like little blobs, you know what I mean? It's just, and I'm always like, I'm always a little offended. People are like, yeah, I think she looks like you, right? I'm like, I think it looks like Jackie. I think she looks like Jackie. But nevertheless, we, we, we did this with all of our kids, and it's just, it's just such a special time because we get to see what's beneath the surface, right? right? And, and this is like the, this tall tale sign that, man, as, as we're getting closer, because you have to be a, a certain amount of time into your pregnancy before you can, you can do the 3D. And in all the signs, all the symptoms are pointing, man, this baby is coming. Ready or not, this baby is about to come. And it's so exciting. There's so much joy. There's so much anticipation. But ready or not, here she comes. And I think, I think most of us are aware that when we see signs and when we see symptoms, uh, many times we respond, but some of us are stubborn in regards to signs and symptoms, right? Like, like some of us, like, like we see signs and symptoms all the time, right? We see, uh, you know, one way or stop or speed limit. And some of us, because of our stubbornness, we just refuse to pay attention to those signs. And so we, we've gotten this little piece of paper, it's called a ticket, and uh and I'm always so surprised that when we get pulled over, we're like, oh, my goodness, what happened? Like, why are you pulling me over? And the cop's like, man, there was like 10 signs. You, you, it was 65, and you're going 85. That, like, that's the oh, officer. And then we start lying. I had no idea. I had no idea I was going so fast. But, I mean, if we're honest, some of us, we just don't care. Like, we know the speed limit, but we don't pay attention. Like, when's the last time you looked at a speed limit? Some of you type A's were like, this morning on my way to church, right? <laughs> the rest of us are like, we just go. But listen, sometimes that can be really dangerous just to plow through some of the signs, right? There can be consequences to that. We could get hurt. People could get hurt. But, but, I, but I think also we can desperately miss out. You know, there, there was a moment where Jesus came on the scene, the Son of God, and the Pharisees, or the religious leaders of his day, they could not recognize Jesus. Like here, all of the signs, all of the symptoms, all the scriptures pointed clearly to Jesus. He's declaring truth with wisdom. There's demonstration of power and miracles. And they're staring the Son of God in the face. And they don't recognize him. I mean, Jesus said, it was pretty interesting. Jesus said this. He says, you fools. He says, you know how to interpret the weather, the signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. So it was almost like he, Jesus was saying, hey, listen, you know when you look up in, in the sky and you see a cloud like today. We didn't put all of our tents outside, right, because we knew it was going to rain. 
And so, so like he said, you, you're, you, you're pretty keen on, on the weather, when it, the sun's going to be out or when the rain's going to come. But he said, you fools. Jesus, you know, sometimes he gets a little gangster. You fools. <laughs> he said, but you, you fail to recognize the times that you're living in. You know, I, I think there, there's something in Scripture. It's easy to point the finger at the Pharisees, but I, I think there's something in Scripture that, that is so, it's so vital. There's something in Scripture that's so relevant to our life today, so essential, and really has the potential to rearrange and restructure everything in our life. Not, not to mention, this thing is, is mentioned throughout Scripture in a variety of different ways. 318 verses in the New Testament refer to this particular thing. One out of every 13 verses mentions it, and nearly every moral command in the New Testament is tied to it. And it's this beautiful reality. Some of you guys are like, what is it? It's a reality that I think even myself sometimes can be distracted of living in light of this reality. Matter of fact, I think that it's something that we don't talk about enough. I think that some of us, um, the enemy will love to blind us from this reality because the enemy knows that if this becomes a reality in our life, it could change everything. It can not just restructure your week, but it can completely reorganize and reshape your entire life. And it's this reality that Jesus is coming again. That Jesus is coming again. Born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, steps out of heaven into bodily form, taking on the form of a servant, living the life we should have lived, a sinless life, dying on a cross for your sins and for my sins. Jesus is calling. It's all good. We love you. Uh, (laughs) Dies on the cross for your sins and for my sin, raises from the dead appears to his disciples for a moment, says, hey, boys, we're going to have a little bit of a staff meeting. And then what happens? And he ascends into heaven, and the Bible says that he is coming again. In fact, it says in the book of Acts, it says, after he said this to his disciples, he was taken up before their eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, potentially angels there, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I think this is pretty, pretty special and, and, and pretty also can be a little bit intense for some people. Like, man, this reality that Jesus is coming back. You know, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies that were written about him in the scriptures. You know, just the the probability of him fulfilling 48 of those prophecies is as if you filled the state of Texas two feet with silver dollars, marked one with a Sharpie, and sent a blind man in to go and receive it. That's the chances of one man fulfilling just 48, the probability, the scientific probability of one man fulfilling just 48, and he fulfilled over 300. And there was just some things that you just can't plan, like where you were born. Uh, you know, you, there's just some prophecies that, that there's no way that you could just try to hodgepodge or structure around. And, and so, so, listen, he has a pretty good track record that when he promises something or when something is declared about him, man, God has a really good track record. It's, it's, he's 100% so far. 
And I'm not just talking about some, some myth, mythology or, 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 you know, just some ancient storytelling. No, I'm talking about some historical realities. Some prophetic words that have come from Old Testament that we've seen manifest throughout history. I'm talking, man, he's, he's, he's really coming back. Now, now some of us, man, we can, we can palette that. Okay, he's coming back, and, and there's a lot of debate, you know, uh, um, when it comes to when he's going to return, and, and is it gonna be, are, are we going to go up in the rapture? Are we going to be pre-tribulation or post-tribulation or mid-tribulation? I got to talk to you about that a different day because I have a pretty a strong stance in one direction. Um, but, but I, I got to tell you, we get really concerned about the, the timing, don't we? It's like we can palette a lot of the, 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 the reality that Jesus is coming back. Like, okay, yeah, one day he's coming back. But, but when? Because, you know, if you're like me, like we, we love to be in control of things and we love to know when things are going to happen. But the beautiful reality is God's like, not a chance. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows. No one knows the time, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. And I think God does this on purpose because he knows us. We're like, man, I got 15 more minutes till he comes, so let's continue to battle this out. I'm going to hold on to this attitude for I got another five minutes before I need to get right with God before he comes. We just take advantage of stuff like that. But, but, but the truth of the reality is, is we get caught up a lot of times with the timing. When will he return? When will he come back? And can I just tell you, it's, it's probably far less about the timing we know that it's near. We know that it's been over 2,000 years since this reality came into being of Jesus ascending to, into heaven and will return again. We know that we are approaching that day. And we may not know when, but the Lord did tell us that even though I don't have a, a date for you, there's going to be some signs. There's going to be some signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the cosmos. On the earth, the nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Come on. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Matthew 24 goes on to say that kingdom will rise against kingdom and and nation against nation. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, that there'll be earthquakes in various places. And, And so just talks about all of like creation groaning as we approach that day. Now again, I'm not saying that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Nobody knows the time, the date, or the hour. Nobody knows except the Father. But what I'm saying is it's less about, I think, when is Jesus coming and more about what are we doing with our time before he comes? And are we paying attention to some of the signs? I mean, he goes on to say, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The the moment that you and I as followers of Jesus will be united with Christ forever. And so he's saying, listen, uh, don't just kind of, you know, live in limbo and just kind of stare up in the sky the whole time. No, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying, live your life as you see the day approaching all the more, as you see some of these signs unfolding, as you see some of these tensions rising, lift up your head. Start to do life with an eternal perspective. Get your eyes fixed on what matters. Get your eyes fixed on the reality of eternity because your redemption is drawing 
near. It's drawing near. And so, so I, I want you to, to, to look at just a couple of unique signs in our day. Now, again, I'm not saying that, that, that we're here and he's coming tomorrow. I don't know. Could he? Yes. But I don't know. You know, people talk about the imminence of Christ's return. I, I think it's less about the imminence and we just have to have more of a reality that it's near. And when things are approaching, when things are drawing near, and whatever that may be in our life, as a car is approaching or drawing near, we're starting to say, hey, are you going to hit me? Are you like, what's going on here? We, it just starts to get our attention a little bit more. Are you guys tracking with me? There's some signs in the heavenly, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that in the last days, in the end times, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, God-mockers, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So, so we, we see these, the, these, these signs and these symptoms in our day just getting a little bit stronger, getting a little bit more intense. But, but there's a few that I want to point out in our day that's just kind of unique. I, I love the way uh, Pastor Chris Hodges words them. Um, and, and the first one is this, is we have satellite technology. Satellite technology. Now, if you go back 30 years ago, like the government had some of this stuff, but we didn't. And this is really significant because um, in the book of Revelation, it talks about somebody coming on the scene uh, named or that will be called the Antichrist somebody that is influenced by Satan, being used by Satan. And along with the Antichrist, it speaks about a beast. Many people believe the beast is not necessarily a person, but, but maybe a, 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 a particular nation or a particular group or a particular alliance of people that are in um, cahoots with the Antichrist. And so, so there's a lot, of bit, a lot of debate on, you know, who the Antichrist is going to be. I think every president has been labeled the Antichrist, right? Like, there, there's been so much debate on who and when and all of us. So we're not going to get into all of that. But I, I want us to pay attention to this reality is there's going to be a moment where two witnesses are going to come on the scene as some of these signs intensify. Uh, we call it during the time of tribulation. Or these, all of these signs and these symptoms are coming to a head. They're getting way more intense, like birth, uh, a woman giving birth. They're just getting more intense. The contractions are, are becoming less and less spread apart. Everything is hitting really, really hard. It's going to be a devastating time. And during this time, two witnesses are going to arise. Many scholars believe they are Moses and Elisha. And long story short, the, the, the Antichrist, along with the beast, is going to put these men to death. And it says, for three and a half days, all peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will view their bodies and will not permit them to be laid in a tomb. Well, 30 years ago, for all people, all nations, and all tribes and tongues to view an event like this wasn't even possible. Maybe for the government it was, but not for the world. But now we pull out just our little device, our little smartphone, and anything that's streaming for free, we can see it. So there's just technology, some, some things have, have increased that make some of these passages that once people used to look at as so far into the future, all of a sudden it's like, hey, I can see that, right? We're just talking about some signs. What about chip technology? It says that the Antichrist required everyone, small and great, rich or poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on their forehead, and no one could buy or sell without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number presenting his name. This is where uh, the next verse talks about the number 666, right? And so back in the day, people were like, you're going to get a tattoo on your head or your hand. 
But now with chip technology, that's how we do all of our financials today. Everything is ran by chip technology. It's getting easier and easier. I mean, some companies have even come out where they put a very subtle chip into their employees just for security purposes, for purchasing. It, it, like, it's here. So what seemed to be so far-fetched a few decades ago now is like, I can see that. You know, you walk into the store, boop. I mean, that's just, you know what I mean? Like, I know it sounds funny, but it's serious. Just trying to lighten the low. Some of you guys, I can tell you're getting a little tense. Like, oh, no. What's happening? But, but then there's also, there's also global evangelism. It's probably my, my favorite. Global evangelism. Jesus said, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, this word uh, all nations, or this word nations, uh, isn't uh, in regards to the 193 ge geographical regions that we have in the world, but it's speaking that the Greek word is ethnos. It's, it's people groups. And so we have about 17,000 people groups on the planet, 10,000 of which have already been reached with the gospel. Meaning they have Bibles, they have churches, they have pastors, leaders. Etc. But there's about 7,000 people groups left. But what's really interesting is over the last 19, uh, by the time we hit 1970, so, so since Christ um, ascended into heaven, the, the time span, it was about a little, little, little less than 2,000 years. In that time span, we saw about 1.2 billion Christians on the planet. Well, as we fast forward now to 2017, the last stat that was done, there are over 2.6 billion people that are Bible-believing Christians. So we've, we've seen that number more than double in just 47 years than the previous 1900 and some change. So we see a dramatic increase in global evangelism of sharing the good news about Jesus across the world. And I think because we can travel to and fro now, we can jump on a plane. You know, we can reach people through technology, and so you can see how this is just going to continue to expand over and over and over. Now, what's really interesting is that, um, and the reason why I think it's so important that we're planting churches in the U.S., because the gospel is growing in all of those 193 geographical regions except 20 where it's declining or still unreached. And one of those declining parts of the world is America where the gospel is declining in the United States of America. And that's why it's so important that we are planting life-giving local churches. Because I'm telling you, listen, uh, exercise your right to vote. Pray for your leaders and all that. We, we, should, we, need, to, we need to do that. We need to, to take on our civil responsibility. But can I just tell you, it's, the, it's, it's not going to be any of those things that's going to change this planet. People need a heart change. And the only thing that can change a heart is the gospel. And so we need life-giving Bible-teaching churches all throughout our region. And so we're committed to that as a church to continue. Like today, 15 new churches are launching today. That is awesome. And so, so, so none of this should, I'm not saying any of this to scare anybody. Like as followers of Jesus, it should actually be the opposite. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The second coming of Jesus should encourage us. Because listen, if you're going through a tough time right now, can I just tell you, the second coming of Jesus reminds us that this isn't it. That your trial and your tribulation is not going to be, is not going to last forever. That there's coming a day where he's going to return or that we're going to go be with him. How many of you guys know, listen, his return may not be tomorrow, but we may go meet him tomorrow.
Because none of us are promised another day. This life is like a vapor. It's a breath. It's here for a moment, then it's gone. But, but it, it should encourage us because it gets our eyes set on eternity. It gets our eyes to realize that, man, we're just sojourning through this place. Like, this is not our home. So you're like, man, the bank account just doesn't look good. Just get your eyes lifted up, man. Eternity's coming. And listen, and, and God wants to help us in the process. We have the beautiful reality of experiencing eternal life here, as John says it in his gospel, which etern- eternity isn't just a destination later. It's a relationship now with Jesus. And, and, but can I tell you, getting our eyes on the second coming fosters us and moves us to, to be drawn more to a relationship with God and say, man, Lord, I need to really lean in to what you're saying and what you're speaking. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and it says, then we will be with the Lord forever, so encourage one another with these words. To get our eyes fixed upon what really matters. The second coming has a way of putting things in perspective. That's why, number two, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The second coming of Jesus equips us. You know, when Jack and I uh, were getting ready to get married, we had a year engagement before our wedding. And so you just know that once the ring is on and the date is set, it's on. Like there's no, there's no turning back, right? Like, like everything is in motion. The date is approaching. And so it restructured our life. I, I had my own place. I moved back in with my mom to save money because weddings, you know, the, the type of wedding we were going to do was going to cost some money. It was the biggest check that I ever gave away for four hours. <laughs> Worth every minute of it. But but everything changed. I got a second job because we needed to pay for this thing. And so, you know, just everything started to shift and change because this day was approaching. And so that year, man, our lives, I mean, there were just some things we couldn't do. There were just some things we couldn't be a part of, right? Because we were on mission. There was a focus. Our hearts were set on this day that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. And I think it's beautiful because Jesus refers to us as the church, as the bride of Christ. And so, so as a bride awaiting uh, for, uh, you know, her groom to return or, or for that wedding day, what is a bride doing? Like, I don't think it's very wise for a bride in that space to be dating other people. I think all the grooms would say, that's a good point. man, how often when we lose sight of the second coming do we give our hearts away and we cheat on the Lord? We're unfaithful to him in so many ways because we just think, oh, we just got time. I'll just ask for forgiveness. Opposed to realizing, no, no, we we are called to be the bride. Like a bride is, she's getting ready, right? She's she's getting her dress right. She's, she's, She's putting on her makeup. She's like doing everything that she can to get ready. And I just wonder, man, if we would start to live with the reality of Jesus's return, if we might prepare a little bit differently spiritually in our lives as we see that day approaching. And so, so that's what it does. It, 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 it equips us. I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and the dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, listen to this. This is huge. You're not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. God's like, it shouldn't surprise you. For the world, it's going to be a surprise. For you, you should be expecting and preparing. Our eyes should be lifted up. Right? To the world, it says that when Jesus returns, it's going to be like the days of Noah. People are going to be eating, drinking, and marrying. Just living life, and then boom. And you could imagine in the days of Noah, Noah had a reality that nobody else, like nobody wanted to hear. And Noah's like, it's going to rain, y'all. And so what is Noah? Noah is building in the meantime. He's prepping as the world is just eating, drinking, and marrying. Noah's like, man, I'm eating, I'm drinking, but I'm prepping. I'm getting ready because I know that God is a God of his word. And guess what? One day, ordinary day, it started to rain. And everybody's like, what is that? Noah's like, I told you, get in this boat, kids. We're out here, right? <laughs> so can I just tell you, listen, God has called us to build. In the meantime, God has called us to build. So how do we build? The first thing, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is we need to fight for focus. As, as we are living in the days and the times that we're living in, we got to fight for focus. Peter says this in regards to the end times. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. This is really important because you, you got to understand what, what Peter is saying is don't get caught up and be driven by your emotion or passions or the lust of the world that will distract you from what's really important is this posture of prayer. See, when there's an eternal perspective in our heart, it purifies our heart. And it postures us to experience the fullness of communion with the Lord. But when there's not a posture of prayer and there's a posture of hurry, there's no space for that. Like, like, like there's, there's no space. And you know, anytime the Bible talks about hurry, normally it's not a good thing. Like the wicked are haste to shed blood. Their feet are swift to do evil. The, the, the evil, the wicked are, are haste and they miss the way. Proverbs chapter 19 says. And so, so it's almost like, listen, the enemy would love to keep you distracted, have your mind cluttered, and, and have you just living a little bit more driven by your pleasures, by your passions, by your emotions, rather than by the Spirit. Because if he can keep you from prayer, guess what? Prayer is one of the greatest antidotes of worry and anxiety. And so what are we seeing in our day today? We don't have space for prayer and worry is at an all-time high and anxiety in people's lives. I know sometimes it's chemical, but I'm just saying majority. Sometimes it, it becomes chemical from all the trauma and stress that we put on our, on our brains, right, right? But, but of course, if he can keep you distracted from what's, what's powerful, then he can render our lives powerless, and so we don't pray, so we're consumed with, with, with worry, right? Like some of us, I think it's really important because prayer isn't just like, hey, God, so, man, so great to talk to you today. It's been a pleasure. Um, so grateful I sat in church. This is awesome. Like that, prayer is talking to God, but it's so much more than that. It's not trying to get God to hear us. It's, it's about getting heaven into us. It's about God 
depositing heaven in us. Like in these end times, in the days that we're living in, we need revelation from God. I'm not talking about weird revelation. I'm, t- I'm talking about a greater depth and understanding of the scripture, a reality where, where it's penetrating our hearts in such a way that there's life change and fruit. That happens in a posture of prayer, not in a posture of busyness. Right? Like, like we, we, we need power in the times that we're living in. Like some of just our relationships need a move of God. And we need power demonstrated. Why? Because, man, we're, we're, we're plagued with so much wounds. We're wrestling through so much junk. We need the power of God in our life. And the enemy's like, man, you don't have time for revelation. You don't have time for the power of God. You don't have time, uh, you know, to, to, to get some peace. No, just let me just keep you distracted and busy away from the fullness of fellowship. But, but if this is going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to fight for focus, can I just tell you, we're going to have to simplify our lives as we're living in these days that we're living in. Our lives are so complicated. You know, Jackie and I, we wrestle through this stuff all the time. Like we're, we're you know, we, we kind of got on the house gig because, you know, we thought we had this house in Mines Road and then it didn't work. And, and then we're like, well, maybe we should look somewhere else. And then we're like, man, you know, we're looking, you know, outside because we can only afford stuff and like that's far away. But we're like, man, that just makes our life so much more complicated when we really need to be simplifying in the days and the times that we're living in. Like, I want our house to be a house of prayer, not, you know, out of control because we're just, you know what I mean? And I think that's going to be the, one of the greatest challenges for us. As, as uh, uh, Dallas Willard told John Orderberg, you're going to have to el- radically eliminate hurry from your life if you're gonna live the life that God wants you to live. We gotta fight for focus, ladies and gentlemen. So too much is on the line. The second thing is we're fighting for focus. We're gonna see that we need to see people differently. As, as, as we prepare, and as we're living in these days, we gotta to start to see people differently. It's so easy to pass people by, isn't it? Like today, it's so easy because our culture is so disconnected, like relationally. Like, like we say things like this, I don't wanna impose. I wanna stay in my lane. I don't want to rock the boat. And it's like, yeah, but God puts you in their life because they desperate. there's something underneath the surface that you may not be able to see. That's why it's so important that we're in prayer so that we can get revelation from God. God to speak to us and say, man, this situation is, is a lot bigger than you and it has something to do with them. Can you start to see people a little bit differently that they're not just a number, they're not just you know, a, a neighbor, but, but they, they have a name and there's a story that they have that God cares about. There's an eternity that, that is on the line that, that God desperately cares about, that God is pursuing people. And as we start to pray and see God, God will start to move your heart towards people because some of us, we don't like people. And sometimes rightfully so. But, but I'm, I'm just telling you, listen, we, we got to learn to see people a little bit differently. You know, there, there was a, um, a, a couple in our church, we were, we were talking yesterday, and they had to go, uh, they had to take care of some business and with some paperwork, and, and they made them go all the way out from the Bay Area to Fresno. And in the conversation, they're like, man, I don't know why I got to go all the way to Fresno to file this paperwork. And so, so they, they go out to Fresno, and they're in the hotel room in the morning, and the Lord just speaks and said, this is so much bigger than this. And so they get to uh, the place of business, and they, they get ready to kind of do the, you know, they're filling out some paperwork and getting stuff dialed in. And, uh, and next thing you know, the conversation of God comes up 
This guy sitting on the other side of the desk went to Bible college, is in a backslidden state, grew up in Alabama, just, you know, away from God, and they spent the entire time wrestling around the scriptures of the reality of Christ and the resurrection. Are you, are you, are you tracking with me? Like, like, like God is so kind that he says, I'm going to send you to Fresno to actually meet with one person who I desperately care about who desperately needs to hear this reality. Sometimes we think it's about us. God's like, it's not about you. You got to see things a little bit differently. I have to see people a little bit differently. God is pursuing people. In fact, you may be here today and you'll be like, man, Jesus is taking a long time. It's over 2,000 years. I got some family members that really need Jesus that I've been talking about. But can I just tell you, the Lord really isn't slow. Peter says, about his promise, as some people think, and mock. Where's he at? It's been a long time. Lord, you forget when you're coming back? It's not like God's up in heaven like, when should I come? Is it a good time now? Not really sure. Maybe it's a good time now. No, no, look at it. It says, it says no, he's being patient for your sake. He is being patient. He does not want anybody to be destroyed, but wants everybody to repent. It's God is holding back his wrath. Because he wants none to perish. That's not a horrible God. That's a just God that's very patient. Like, like, like he's saying, I, I don't want anybody to die. Yep, that person yep, that you're thinking of, yep, that person. No, he's saying, man, I don't want anybody to perish. I'm holding back. If I was God, I would have blew this thing up a long time ago. <laughs> I, I mean, just really think about it. Like, I, I hear some horrific stuff, horrific stuff across the board. That's happening in our world from sex slavery to, you know, all these just different horrific atrocities. And God in all of that says, I'm still being patient. I'm holding back that you might be able to partake in this beautiful reality and the fullness and depth and intimacy of a relationship with me that you might be spared from the wrath to come. We don't talk about this in church anymore, but it's the Bible. Like, to talk about God's wrath, he's a just God. And, and justice, what? It, it, it punishes unrighteousness. That's what justice, like, if, if somebody killed your father and the judge said, go, just, it's all right, just don't do it again. You'd be like, that's not just. Like, God is just in everything that he does, but in that he is holding back because his love and his grace and his mercy and his long-suffering says, I don't want anybody to perish. But if we as a church just kind of just see people normal, it's like, man, come on. God has placed us as the agents of change and reconciliation to meet people where they're at. Now, I'm not saying just, you know, live like this every day. But I'm saying posture your heart in such a way that, that, that we're seeing people a little bit differently. Because above all, he says, Peter goes on to say, love each other deeply. Like in these end times, love each other deeply. This word, it's so funny. You're gonna need the Lord to do this because it's agape love. It's a divine love. You're not gonna be able to do that on your own. Like some people, it's really hard to love them. And God says, I want you to love them deeply. Listen, because love covers a multitude of sins. That's not talking about loving easy. 
It covers a multitude of sins. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This word hospitality means to be generous even with strangers. Without complaining. Without grumbling. Can I just ask you a question? When's the last time that you loved your family like this? And you offered a hospitality to them. Even to the difficult ones without grumbling. It's hard. It takes a divine love, a supernatural love that's eyes are not fixed on this world, but see a greater reality that lies ahead, that we're able to overlook some faults and some difficulties that they might know the love of God. And then the last thing is this, is in light of the second coming, it helps us to use our gifts for eternity. You know, I think if we're honest, many of us, we use our gifts every single day, but it's to build our own empires. And we don't even mean to. It's not like, you know, I'm building my own empire. No, but I, I think the reality is, is that's, that's just what we know how to do, right? We try to build up our career and our portfolio. We try to, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's good to do. But, but there's something greater than that. Right, we, 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 want to, we fight and we want to build for our family, and that's, that's biblical. Yeah, you should. You should provide for your family. You should care for your family, pastor them well. You should, but, but, but there's also more than just that. I mean, some of us, man, we use our gifts in regards to recreation, and we do it really well. Man, you should still have, enjoy your life. God has given you this world to enjoy, but there's still so much more. It's, 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 it's meant for us to enjoy and give him glory. Some of us, we use our gifts for, for different ventures and, and different things, and that's good, but, but there, there's so much more. I think a lot of times if we look at our gifts, we're using them to build for here rather than eternity. And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. I, I, I do too. And I gotta constantly, even as your pastor, like keep my heart in check, keep this reality, because I'm like, yeah, it's been 2,000 years. Like, it's a long, like, it can, it, you can easily fall into the temptation that is, we still got a lot of time left. But as I look into this world, ladies and gentlemen, my heart grieves. It breaks. I'm just like, Lord, let us not be a church that just lives casually. I'm not saying be a fanatic and hit everybody over the head with the Bible, but I'm saying live intentionally with eternity in front of you and the gospel on your lips that we might reach people. Are you guys track with me on that? The scripture says it very clear. It says that each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Notice how it doesn't say to serve us. The gifts we've received, faithfully administrating the grace of God because the gifts that we've been given, they're not because we're awesome. It's the grace of God on our life. Like sometimes we think we're awesome, but God's like, no, I, I've, it's my grace that's given you that gift and it's, and it's used to serve others. So if anybody speaks, like if you can use your mouth, man, it should be as one who speaks the very words of God, right? Like, like our, our gifts weren't meant to serve us, but others. The church, our gifts were, were meant to be used to build up and edify the church, one another, and to reach the world. Like God says, man, listen, I know it sounds kind of tough and I know you probably don't want to do that. And so he goes on to say, he says, listen, everyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. That God will provide a strength for you to use your gifts outside of your comfort element, outside of your you know, little space of what you think is possible. 
your schedule. God will make a way. And believe me, I'm not saying you got to, you know, take this to the extreme. I'm just saying, is your life and your gifts being used to serve others? To not just build something now, but, but for eternity. He said, why? Because it's for his glory and his power forever and ever. Amen. You know, spiritual gifts were never used to exalt the person, but to exalt God and lovingly serve one another. And if you're like, man, I don't even know what my gifts are, that's why we do growth track. Like, we don't do growth track just because it's like a cool thing that we do and like, want you to go to another class. I don't want you to go to another class. You don't need another class. But you do need to discover your design and how God made you. Maybe even a little bit more. It might change a conversation at work. It might change, you know, how you operate here at church. You, you might be illuminated to some, some realities that you never knew that God has given you some gifts that you don't even know about. That's why we call it discovery. It's, 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 a, it's a discovery process. Because this is what I know. Is that in Puerto Rico right now, earthquake hit. And it's devastating. And people were just in desperate need. And it's, it's really unfortunate. And I'm sure there's a backstory to it. And I'm not pointing fingers. But the mayor that was over the relief and the aid, I don't know if you heard, but she was recently let go. Because as all these people are suffering around because they don't have anything, there was a warehouse full of resource right in the heart of the city. And so as, as I heard this, I mean, just, you know, God speaks in various ways. And I just thought, man, God, let us not be a warehouse in the middle of a city that's full of resource that we just sit on while people all around us are in desperate need. Let's fight for focus. Let's see people differently. And let's use our gifts for eternity.